0: Hello, welcome to the myths and history of Greece and Rome. This week's episode is brought to you by Leatherman Data Services. Sometimes a historical tale requires something more than words and can be improved with a visual element. If you lack the time or skill to create these yourself, then why not find an experienced cartographer who shares your passion for the past? Leatherman Data Services supply mapping and geographic data services for historians, archaeologists and others. They aim to provide high-quality products for people who care about history just as much as we do. You can contact them at at lethermandataservices@gmail.com, or visit the website lethermandataservices.com. The Myths and History of Greece and Rome, Chapter Sixty-Three, the Julio-Claudians. In the last chapter, we followed the career of Augustus Caesar after he became the supreme ruler of the Roman Empire. What we did not take any time over is the rise of the imperial family and how, by the time Augustus died, it was obvious to everyone that a member of this family should follow him as the ruler of Rome. In order to explain who became his successor and why, it's necessary to spend a whole chapter examining the actions, lives and deaths of the family known as the Julio-Claudians. So, why are they known as the Julio-Claudians? Well, that's an easy one. The members of this extended family are descended from two of the patrician families of Rome, the Julii and the Claudii. Augustus was a member of the Julii through his posthumous adoption by Julius Caesar. His wife Livia had been married to a man called Tiberius Claudius Nero and her two sons were his sons. He, and therefore his sons, were members of the Claudii. The Julio-Claudians were an extended clan descended from one or both of these families. The marriage of Augustus and Livia produced no children. Augustus had one daughter from his previous marriage to Scribonia. Her name was Julia. Livia, as we know, had two sons by Tiberius Claudius Nero, whose names were Tiberius and Drusus. Augustus also had a sister, Octavia, the abandoned wife of Mark Antony. Octavia had previously been married and had a son, Marcellus, and two daughters. With Mark Antony, she also had two daughters – one of which, Antonia, will become very important in our story. So, this was the Julio-Claudian clan in the early years of Augustus's reign. Not too complicated, is it? Well, it's going to get a lot more intricate and interesting as time goes on, so concentrate hard. It's not known whether Augustus was considering the succession by 25 BC, but it seems by his actions that he probably was, Marcellus was married to his now 14-year-old daughter, Julia. Augustus was very fond of the young man and started to arrange for him to be appointed to official positions so that he would be able to become a senator long before he would normally have been legally allowed to do so. It seemed to many that he was grooming his heir, and maybe he was. In 23 BC, though, events forced Augustus' hand. He became very ill and everyone, including Augustus himself, thought he was going to die. Probably deciding that at 19, Marcellus was too young to succeed him, he turned to the man he turned to every time he was in trouble. He prepared to hand his signet ring, a token of power, to Marcus Agrippa. Although there was no legal basis for succession, after all, Rome was supposed to be a republic, the handing over of the ring would signify to the army that they were to obey Agrippa. This was enough for power to be wielded. Anyone who had the army behind them was clearly in charge. Against all the odds, though, Augustus survived. Marcellus was not so lucky. Augustus's nephew and son-in-law died in 23 BC, aged just 19. Now, this is where we must look at one of the myths of the Julio-Claudian clan. Anyone in the UK over about 35 has probably seen the British TV series I, Claudius, which chronicles the family from late in Augustus's reign until the death of the Emperor Claudius. It is a masterpiece of storytelling, and more than does Robert Graves' original tale justice. The one thing you'll notice from the story, though, is that nobody dies of natural causes. Pretty much everyone is poisoned, apart from one or two more bloody deaths, which I will not describe here. You will also notice that a large number of these deaths are attributed to the Augusta, Augustus' wife, Livia. It's certainly true that Livia pushed the claims of her two sons, Tiberius and Drusus, and pushed them hard. There's no evidence, though, that she actually had a hand in any of the deaths. Marcellus's death is the first of many which poor Livia has been subsequently accused of having a hand in. She almost certainly didn't do it. Death at a young age was not uncommon in Roman times, even among the rich and powerful. After his illness and Marcellus's death, the succession occupied a prominent place in Augustus's mind – it can quite reasonably be said that he became a little obsessed with it. It appears he wasn't on the same wavelength as his wife at the beginning. Quite understandably, he wanted his successor to be a descendant of his rather than a stepson. In order for this to happen, his only daughter Julia needed to marry again. But who should she marry? Go on, have a guess. Yep, of course, Augustus turned to the man he always turned to when he wanted something done. Marcus Agrippa was asked to divorce his second wife and marry Julia. Agrippa would be Augustus's successor, even if he was much the same age as the emperor, and his children would then succeed him. Agrippa did as he was told without complaint, and the marriage proved to be a productive one. Julia, though, was somewhat of a wayward child. Rumours of her affairs were rife in Rome, and it seemed the only person who didn't know about them was her doting father. But what father wants to hear tales of his daughter's adultery? In 19 BC, Livia's son Tiberius married Agrippa's daughter from a previous marriage, Vipsania. In 16 BC, his brother Drusus married Mark Antony and Octavia's daughter, Antonia. Both of these marriages proved to be very good ones. Tiberius was devoted to Vipsania, who he loved dearly, and Drusus and Antonia were said to be inseparable. Livia pushed their claims hard and they became a kind of backup plan should the Agrippa-Julia marriage not produce the required healthy children. Both of Augustus's stepsons were started on their political careers early in their lives. Like Marcellus, they were appointed as quaestors ahead of time, so they would be able to stand as praetors and consuls while still very young. Both were given military commands, and both proved to be able and intelligent generals. Tiberius scored some victories in the east, while Drusus campaigned successfully in Germania, Drusus, in particular, was a very able commander and was extremely popular with his troops. Both proved themselves to be capable of ruling and would certainly be adequate backups should something happen to Marcus Agrippa before his children were old enough to rule. And of course, something happened to Marcus Agrippa before his children were old enough to rule. The Emperor's able lieutenant did his master's bidding throughout his adult life. He was sent to the east and toured the eastern provinces, solidifying Roman rule, In 12 BC he was in Pannonia, conducting a border war when he fell ill with pneumonia. He returned to Italy in order to recover before continuing the military campaign, but he never made it back to the front line. In March of that year, Marcus Agrippa died at his country estate. Augustus was devastated, both personally and because he had lost his most talented commander. Agrippa left his fortune to Augustus and his buildings to the city of Rome. More importantly... Two of his children were adopted by their grandfather Augustus. The two eldest boys became the heirs of the Roman ruler. Marcus Agrippa and Julia had five children. Gaius, the eldest, was born in 20 BC, closely followed in 19 by a sister, Julia. To avoid confusion with her mother, she is known as Julia the Younger. Next was Lucius, born in 17 BC, followed by another daughter, Agrippina, in 14 the youngest child was called Agrippa Postumus because he was born after his father died. Even the eldest son, Gaius, was only a small boy and thus not yet ready to succeed his grandfather. Augustus had to resort, again, to his backup plan. He was keen, though, to ensure that his grandsons would eventually succeed him and so he did something which caused deep rifts in the family. He forced poor Tiberius to divorce his beloved Vipsania and marry Julia, wayward daughter of the emperor. Neither of them were happy with this arrangement and they despised each other. Julia's extramarital affairs became even more scandalous and even more public. Tiberius and Vipsania had a surviving son named Drusus after his uncle. To avoid confusion we will call Tiberius' brother Drusus I and his son Drusus II. And yes, in case you're wondering, we're doing it this way because there will be another one. Tiberius was a loyal commander for Augustus and an excellent soldier, but he bitterly resented the enforced divorce. The resentment grew and grew inside the young man until he became an increasingly bitter middle-aged man. The marriage with Julia produced no children which survived beyond infancy, so Augustus would have no direct heirs from this union. It was even more important then that his grandsons Gaius and Lucius were advanced early and prepared to rule well. In 9 BC, tragedy struck the imperial family once more. One of Augustus's backup plans was removed from his thinking when his younger stepson, Drusus, Drusus I, died. The young man, perhaps an even better soldier and commander than his brother, had had considerable success campaigning against the German barbarians. He was busy fighting when he fell from his horse, an occupational hazard for ancient commanders. Unfortunately, his injuries were too severe. He lasted a month or so, giving Tiberius time to ride to his brother's side before he died. In the summer of 9 BC, though, Nero Claudius Drusus Germanicus, younger son of Livia, succumbed to his injuries. Tiberius was devastated by his brother's death. They'd always been very close. Drusus's body was brought back to Rome, and his ashes placed in the mausoleum of Augustus, built ready for the ashes of the emperor himself. His wife, Antonia, also devastated, never remarried. This was very unusual in the highest echelon of Roman society, but she was adamant. Drusus was her one and only love, and she had no intention of finding another. Antonia and Drusus had three children. The eldest son, Germanicus, was six when his father died. The second child, a daughter called Livilla, was four. The youngest child had been born with a deformity and was not expected to live long. His own mother despised him and later called him a monster. His name was Claudius. Tiberius was now the only backup plan and Augustus was getting old. In 6 BC, Tiberius was given full Tribunician powers in the east. These were similar to the powers that Agrippa previously held and further pointed to Tiberius' position as the heir to Augustus. It seems though that Tiberius flipped a little. Maybe he realised he was only a stopgap solution for the succession. After all, Augustus had formally adopted Gaius and Lucius so they were the heirs he really wanted. Maybe it was the increasingly wayward behaviour of his wife. Maybe he was simply fed up with it all. Whatever the reason, on the verge of becoming the second most powerful man in the empire, Tiberius suddenly withdrew from public life and retired to live on the island of Rhodes. Livia was furious and tried to persuade her one surviving son to change his mind, but Tiberius was adamant. A year or two later, he thought better of it and requested that he be allowed to return to Rome, but the rift with Augustus was too deep. He was refused. With his retirement, all Livia's chances of being the mother of the next emperor disappeared. Maybe this is why she is so often blamed for what happened a few years later. But more of that in a minute. In 2 BC, Julia's scandalous activities finally caught up with her. She was arrested for adultery and Augustus cancelled her marriage with poor Tiberius. Tiberius was, no doubt, delighted to be rid of her. Augustus must have been crushed. He couldn't bring himself to have his own daughter executed, so she was exiled to the tiny island of Pandateria. Her mother Scribonia went with her, but she was allowed no other visitors without the express permission of Augustus himself. She was later allowed to return to the mainland, but not to Rome. Augustus never forgave her and gave instructions that when she died, she was not to be buried in his mausoleum. Sometime around 1 BC, there was a dynastic union between the Julian and Claudian branches of the family. Germanicus, eldest son of Drusus I and Antonia, married Agrippina, younger daughter of Julia and Marcus Agrippa. They would go on to have a number of children, two of which will have huge parts to play in the later story of the Julio-Claudians. So, back to Augustus, Livia and the problem of succession. Well, for a while, there was no problem. In 1 BC, Gaius Caesar married Livilla, daughter of Antonia and Drusus I. He was given commands in the east and then in 1 AD served as consul. By now he was 21 and nearing the age where he could be named as Augustus' successor. His brother Lucius was also beginning a promising military career. And then came the problem. Lucius Caesar became ill while in Gaul and on the 20th of August 2 AD he died. He was just 19 years old. His death has been blamed on Livia, who was still hoping that Tiberius would eventually inherit. The historian Tacitus has suggested this, but he was writing a 100 or so years later. It seems there was no talk of it at the time and it's highly likely that poor maligned Livia was entirely innocent. Death from illness at a young age was, as we have said, far from uncommon. Augustus, desperately sad, concentrated all of his efforts on Gaius, Lucius's older brother. The young man was proving to be an able commander and a good potential successor. It was a tragedy, both personal and political, for Augustus when in 4 AD Gaius was wounded in a campaign in Armenia. Tragic because Gaius Caesar died from the effects of the wound soon afterwards. He was 24 years old. In the space of two years, Augustus had lost both of the young men who he had been grooming to follow him. He loved them both dearly and was deeply saddened by their loss. So, let's take stock. What options does Augustus have left? He's one surviving grandson, Posthumus Agrippa, but Posthumus is only 16 and hasn't been adopted by Augustus. He has two surviving step-grandsons, Germanicus and Claudius, Germanicus is 19 and turning into a fine young Roman. Claudius, on the other hand, is only 12, is slightly deaf and has a pronounced limp due to a birth deformity. And then there is Tiberius. The former heir is itching to get back into Rome and resume a public life. His mother Livia is constantly badgering Augustus about making Tiberius his heir once more. Augustus made a decision. Tiberius was recalled to Rome and formally adopted by the princeps. Agrippa Postumus was also adopted. In order to ensure further succession, Tiberius was made to adopt his nephew, Germanicus. This he did, although it must have stuck in his throat because his own son, Drusus II, was only a couple of years younger than Germanicus. If Tiberius inherited, then surely he would want his own son, not his nephew, to follow. Agrippa Postumus's claims to the succession were removed when he was exiled to the island of Planesia in 9 AD. Nobody is quite sure why this happened. There are reports that Posthumus was a moody, rude and aggressive child who didn't mature much as he grew up. This doesn't seem sufficient cause for exile though. What's more likely is that Livia finally got her way and persuaded Augustus that Posthumus was not fit to rule and that he must finally decide in favour of Tiberius. Posthumus's sister, Julia the Younger, was also banished after her husband was executed for conspiring against Augustus. So Tiberius was, finally, the unchallenged heir to Augustus Caesar. He was sent to Germania in 10 AD and returned after successful campaigns two years later. He was given a triumph, a ceremony now only reserved for the family of Augustus. In 12 AD, Tiberius was made co-princeps. This gave him powers equal to that of Augustus himself and made him unchallengeable once Augustus died. Augustus Caesar died, aged 75, in August 14 AD, and August was indeed August, the month was named after the great man. Tiberius stepped into his shoes and became the second emperor of Rome, although the fiction of the Republic remained very much alive. Tiberius was unchallenged. The senate validated his position as princeps and Augustus was declared to be a god, just as Julius Caesar had been. Around the same time, Posthumus Agrippa was executed, either on the orders of Augustus just before he died, or more likely on the orders of Tiberius just after he died. The exact details and time are not known. Despite the many deaths, the Julio-Claudian family was still numerous. Both Livia and Antonia were going strong. Tiberius's son, Drusus II, was still married to Livilla, sister to Germanicus, although they had no children. Drusus's son Claudius was still around, unwanted and unnoticed. Germanicus was still married to Agrippina, last surviving unexiled child of Marcus Agrippa and Julia. In 14 AD, at the death of Augustus, this pair had three sons. Three daughters would follow in the next four years. In 14, the eldest son, Nero Caesar, no, not that Nero, was about eight, and his brother Drusus, who we will call Drusus III, seven. The youngest son, Gaius, was not quite two. At the beginning of Tiberius' reign, Germanicus was sent to command the forces in Germania. Little Gaius was given a tiny soldier's uniform which he used to wear around the camp. This included armour and some delightful little tiny boots. The soldiers were enchanted with this little boy in his tiny soldier's kit and gave him a nickname which meant Little Boots. And what was this nickname? Caligula. Next time we'll pick up at the beginning of Tiberius's reign and follow the exploits of the next two emperors of Rome. Until then, have a great couple of weeks and I'll speak to you next time.